Hi everybody and welcome to the show. Today I am joined by Jenny Eck, who is, uh, let's see, now you're running for House District? 82. 82. West Helena. I almost yeah. said 84. <laughs> Council will kick my ass later. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you're running for the House and uh, let's start with what got you into politics. Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, I've been always been in a political family, and by political, I don't mean anyone who's ever run for office, but just parents who talked about politics around the dinner table on a regular basis. Um, so it's always been part of sort of the thought of what is possible. I think a lot of times what people end up doing is part of you know just as children understanding of what's out there, you know, what's what's possible. Um, but I didn't. I've worked a lot behind the scenes um, at, for other candidates over the years, so this is the first time I've run for office, um, and I really made the transition from thinking of this as something that I wanted to help out on to something this is what I want to do. Um, in the 2009 legislature, I was the House Judiciary Committee secretary, and in that role, I had to be a neutral party and just sit quietly and not voice my opinion um, and listen to the discussion. And as you probably know, House Judiciary hears some very interesting bills. Uh, yeah. In fact, all of the bills that make me slightly batty are <laughs> yes. on that list. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Immigration, uh, abortion, uh, death penalty, mm -hmm. um, you name it. <laughs> They're so delightful. Yeah, but, you know, really interesting if you're a junkie like you and I are, right. politics and those kinds of issues. So... Um, but anyway, just in that process, I realized that there were a lot of questions that weren't being asked. Um, and there were so many times when I just thought, God, why isn't anybody asking this question? And why isn't this perspective being brought to the table? Um, and it made me realize that maybe I had a perspective to bring that would be unique to the process, or at least unique to that conversation. So. Well, that's cool. So you were... Uh in, you were working for the legislature in 2009. Was that the first time you had worked for them? Or? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then what else have you done in your life? <laughs> the, the basic interview. Who are you? And, and, and why do we care? <laughs> sure. Well, I um, see. I went to college at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm. Ma majored in government. So... Um, so there, and one of those things where you know I couldn't figure out what the heck to major in at a liberal arts college, and started taking government classes, and was like, wow, I really love this philosophy of government. This is interesting, and maybe I'll major in it. So it's funny how you look back over things and realize, <laughs> you know, how things sort of stack up over time to put yeah. you in a certain direction. Yeah, the path is much easier to see when you look back. Right, in retrospect, exactly. I know where my footsteps are. <laughs> um, and then you know, went into motherhood after college. Um, my husband and I had our daughter. Um, she was born actually a year after I graduated, so oh, wow. did the early mom thing and um, stayed home with her for several years. And then my son was born when uh, my husband was going to law school. So um, really, for several years there, I was just committed to trying to be home as much as possible, and you know, worked odd jobs to make ends meet. Um, worked at a bakery, worked at a preschool, you know, just night shift at, at a bakery making loaves of bread, that kind of stuff, just to kind of be able to buy the diapers and all those things. So um, I think that's important, though, because I think it's important to know what it means for working families to have to Absolutely. really make ends meet. I think it's a it's a good experience. I'm, I'm grateful to have had it. Um, and then, let's see, moved to Helena for my husband's work and worked at a preschool here, and then eventually finally got my foot in the door into things that I really wanted to do. Um, was hired to work as the uh, volunteer coordinator for the Obama campaign in 2008 primary. Nice. Um, so that was my first time working um, officially hired on a campaign. 
Um, and the, you know, the Obama campaign's ground game in 2008 primary was amazing. It was a really cool opportunity. Yeah, to it's one about. of those things that people now in government classes at Smith, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you run a field operation. Exactly. Look at this. Look at the billions of dollars you got in $3 increments. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then I went to work for the Montana Democratic Party in the 2008 general election. Um, and just saw a different aspect of, of you know, how campaigns can be run. And, um, and then after that, went to work for the legislature in the 2009 session. And then the fall of 2009, went to work for the Attorney General's Office in Consumer Protection, which is what I'm still doing now. Very cool. So, you know, you've always, obviously, you're just like me in the whole, been around politics, your family's been around it. Are you from Montana, or? I actually grew up in Pennsylvania mostly, although moved a lot as a kid. My parents were missionaries in East Africa. Um, so for oh, part wow. of my childhood, I was in East Africa, Tanzania. So Very cool. And then um, you've been in Montana for a while. And then is Helena the first capital city that you've lived in? It is, yep. Mm -hmm. And so having grown up here, I have this odd perspective on, on Helena that it is very much a political town. Sure. And it, and it kind of, for the, the political junkies like us, it swallows us whole. <laughs> There's no halfway mark with this town. Um, and it's kind of funny, because having I, I lived in Sacramento for a while, and Sacramento being the capital of California, you would think it'd, it'd be like that on a hundred times scale, and it's mm -hmm. not like that at all. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what's your perspective on you know Montana as a whole, and then Helena specifically? Well, I'm, I came to Montana in college. Um, I took a year, a couple years off of, at Smith and came out here and did the Wilderness and Civilization program, which is part of the forestry department at U of M in Missoula, mm. and um, really fell in love with the state, fell in love with wilderness, um, fell in love with the concept of, of there being such a thing as wilderness. I mean, growing up on the East Coast, I don't think I understood that there was even a designation for wilderness, you know? <laughs> wilderness is something you read about in novels, not a big W word. Let's um, uh, see, we're like, no, it's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> right, you just literally walk out your door and hike up the mountain, it's amazing. Um, so it completely changed my perspective of of land and of landscape and of what freedom means and what have, and, and really fed, fed my soul to use the cliche in a way that I'd never experienced before or maybe tapped into something of being in Tanzania. I don't know. But anyway, it just felt like coming home. Um, and that was a really cool program because we looked at the interface of wilderness and um, forestry and ranching, agriculture, mining. Uh, we got to do field trips around the state and meet with different interest groups and really study that issue from a lot of different perspectives. It was great, a great year, um, my favorite year in college, absolutely. Um, and so after our daughter was born and we we're living on the East Coast in Eastern Massachusetts, or Western Massachusetts, um, we just thought, gosh, we don't want to raise our kids here. You know, you have to make, to, to have a play date with another kid, you have to schedule it two weeks out. You know, that's <laughs> not the kind of life we want to live. Um, and so we both had, we met in Missoula, we both had loved Montana before, so we just came back and said, this is where we want to raise our family. So as soon as we could, we got back here. Very cool. Yeah. So um, what's the, the difference between running a campaign yourself and uh, helping out with another person's campaign, I'm sure is uh, a dramatic shift. <laughs> Were you prepared for it? Did you know exactly what it was going to be or did it? No, I didn't know. I mean, it is so different. Um, it's very different to be the person standing at the back of the room watching your candidate, you know, give a speech and making sure that they have what they need and um, 
and then to be that person standing in the front of a room talking. Um, <laughs> and especially when you're running at this level, you don't have anybody in the back of the room necessarily making sure that you don't have spinach in your teeth. Friends. Yeah, my husband's <laughs> been that person, which has been great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's completely different because you're putting yourself out there, you know, and um, and it is very personal. It feels very personal. I don't know how it would not be personal. Um, of course, you it's know, personal. you know, because you are but being it, evaluated on a regular basis as a person in right, a very and, public way. And oof, oof. <laughs> <laughs> how has that gone? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you made it through the primary against a couple of very well-known people. Um, you had a three-way primary. One of the only, I think, there's what four in the state that had three-way primaries. I don't know. Yeah. And then, of course, the governor's office on the Republican side, which was 642 <laughs> people. Um, one emerged victorious. Mm -hmm. um, how was election night? It was great. We had just had it at our house, had friends and family and volunteers over, and um, I didn't want to celebrate until I saw all the final numbers, which really didn't come in until about 2.30 a.m. Everybody else was celebrating when the first round of numbers came in because they did the math and said, there's no way you can lose at this point. I think I had 50, 55% in the first, you know, the first wave of numbers came in, but I'm sort of superstitious that way, and I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to completely celebrate until I woke up at 5 and saw that the numbers had fully come in and it was a done deal. So That's cool. Yeah. For those of you who are not from Montana, Montana has a very interesting set of laws uh, allowing for elections, and I think they're very cool, but one of them is that you can get absentee val ballots on a fairly consistent basis. So the first wave of numbers were really the counts of the absentee ballots, and in Helena, um, we love to vote. Um, although weirdly, we didn't have a, a great turnout. It was okay, but it wasn't as, as good as it could have been. Um, but we had a ton of absentee ballots because those people, they're going to vote and they're going to be there. So that first wave really does make a big difference. It does, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. It is. I think it's, I mean, our electoral system, the fact that people can vote early or they can vote on the day, register and vote on the day of the election is phenomenal. I mean, I think that that's in Oregon, you know, they have, I think they've gone to entirely absentee ballots, haven't they? And they have an even higher percentage Oregon of voters. Washington, turnout. maybe? Yeah, but it was, it definitely reinforced for me what I've been taught in, you know, candidate trainings, which is you've got to pay attention to your absentee voters because um, I think I had about 900 absentee voters. And when the final tally was in, that was almost two-thirds of my voters. So um, I, I'm glad that we ran a good absentee campaign. We really you know, reached out to our absentee voters and made sure that we had talked to them multiple times before they got their ballots. Um, so there's really two phases to a campaign. You're you've got your, your absentee voters, and then you've got your poll voters. And you need to run sort of two campaigns um, overlapping, targeting those voters in, in different ways. So how do you target? You know, not to give away any secrets or anything, but how, <laughs> how do you target absentee voters? Well, it's just a matter of, um, you know, you, you have that list ahead of time, so you know who they are. So the way I did it was I, you know, I staggered my mail pieces differently. So mm. I did four mail pieces for every voter. Um, so for my absentee voters, I was going out four weeks from when they would get their ballot in the mail. Oh. For my poll voters, they got theirs four weeks out from when they were going to vote, and then three weeks out, and then two weeks out, and then one week out. So you're so you're just it's just about timing. Right. And then in the last, I think two weeks before the absentee ballots went out, I was just solely knocking doors on absentee voters' doors to make sure that they had heard from me. And then I knew that I'd have time before the poll voters voted to do that with poll voters as well when that when the absentee voters had already gotten their absentee ballots in. So it's great. I mean, we have 
have all the technology now to keep all this data. We know, you know who's registered, how they want to vote, um, and how to contact them. And so it's just a matter of you know w working hard and getting out there and, and making those voter contacts. Um, yeah. so. Although I'm irritated about the, there is one thing that's irritating me about, oh, we have to fix this in the legislature. Oh, another thing. Um, I had checked off the, I would like to remain an absentee voter, uh -huh. and then the post office in East Helena apparently just doesn't like me because I never got the, <laughs> apparently we're supposed to get a card that says, are you sure you want to be an absentee voter? Huh. And you check yes, and then you become one. Yeah. And I almost didn't get to vote because I had a, a shoot come up, and I was going to be in Billings, and I was like, oh, if I don't get to vote, I'm having a political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. I know there was a lot of confusion this right. election because people got their ballots absentee for the school board election, so they thought they would get them for the general or for right. the primary. And they were, and then you had to renew this year, so there was a lot of confusion. Um, and I think it, I think that might have been part of why turnout was lower, just because voters didn't understand yeah. um, what the Possible. deal was. Possibly. Hopefully, we won't have that problem in the general. Yeah. So you've made it through uh, the primary. Congratulations! That's Thank awesome. You. You're the first uh, uh, post-primary guest actually running for office. <laughs> yes. Um, and. What's next? I mean, obviously you've run a successful campaign so far. I'm sure it's, it's just a lot more of what you've done, but now you've got the party behind you because they can help out. And, you know, what changes from here? Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a targeted race for the, for the party. Um, you know, they, they definitely have their um, races where they really put a lot of resources in that are, you know, closer districts. Um, this is a, a Democratic district percentage-wise. I think it's about 56% DPQ is what they say. Um, but it's an interesting race because... My opponent, and normally, you know, they say don't talk about your opponent by name. Who but is your opponent? Is Sam Hunthausen. Okay. And that's what's going to be interesting <laughs> about it is for anybody who knows Helena, like you do, the Hunthausen uh, yes. name is it's, a powerful yeah, name. Yeah, a um, big name. But Sam is running as a Republican, which is going to throw people off. off yes. Completely. Yes. Um, because Andy's also Andy Hunthausen is a great progressive Democrat uh, running for county commissioner. Correct. Um, against. Great guy against Fassbender. Fast mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he will be on the ballot, and he will be campaigning, and he will be trying to get his name out there. And then I am running against somebody who has, has the same, same last name. name but is not a progressive Democrat. <laughs> so it's going to be my job to make sure that voters know the difference between Sam and Andy and that I am the Democratic nominee. Um, and then, of course, for independence, that's not, you know, I think talking about parties can be a sort of a turnoff. Um, and so for, I think also it's just making sure that people know who I am, which is what I've been doing all along. Um, but that's the good thing about a tough primary is, you know, I already have put in all of that work um, and voters know a lot more about me now than they did um, nine months ago. So we have a lot to build on, um, which is which is good. There's no downside to working hard. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you on the whole knocking doors thing. How is that going for you? <laughs> you know, it's my favorite part of the campaign, honestly. In, in really? full honesty, yes. Uh, my least favorite part is fundraising. My most favorite part is knocking on doors. Uh, yeah. That seems to be a common thing. <laughs> I would almost have the reverse. Like fundraising seems really easy to me because it's like, you know what? You need to help me get elected. It's worthwhile. That's yeah. not hard to say. Whereas going up and I, I hate it when people knock on my door because I always think it's something's gone horribly wrong and you know your friend died in Iraq. <sighs> <laughs> So it's, you know, when people knock on my door, I'm like, oh, what's happening now? And then it's, oh, okay, well, it's nothing bad, but it's like... Still, it's kind of a... You, you know, I feel like that person that's having to deliver bad news. I don't <laughs> like that person. So I always think that's odd, but I think it's great that that's what you find that's good. Have you had any uh, interesting reactions? Not necessarily bad, but just ones that you weren't expecting? Um, yeah, I mean, I've had some really good conversations, and I've learned a lot about 
issues that I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to. I mean, you know, different people have their areas that they focus on. Of course, we all do. We all have our own perspectives. Um, so it's been, it has been interesting. I mean, one woman talked to me about HIPAA and how you have to, you know, sign a HIPAA release every two years. And if, what if something happened to her husband? And at one point her husband, I guess, you know, couldn't sign a form allowing her to get access to his records because he was really ill. And so, and she didn't realize that she had to renew her HIPAA release. And so we really need to get that changed was her number one issue, you know? And I just thought, wow, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, I, you, I hadn't given that a whole lot of thought. And you, you know? wouldn't know about it until you'd come up against it. Because, so. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of veterans issues, um, environment, you know, comes up a lot. And just sort of this false question that we've been posed by the right, which is that we have to choose between the environment and jobs, um, which is, a choice that I completely reject. I think we can have both, and we need to focus on that. Um, but that's a conversation that comes up a lot. Um, I, yeah, we have great evidence for that one now. <laughs> Germany is now 50% solar powered. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da, yeah. Well, and I was just talking to somebody at a wedding a couple weekends ago who's saying that within the next 10 years, we should reach parity between coal and solar in the United States. For cost? cost. Yes, hmm. which I thought, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, because as soon as they're equal, there's no reason to ever use coal again. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think that that's, you know, when people are honest with themselves, and I think a lot of us are having this thought process, who have, especially who have young kids, um, you know, in 20 years, do we still want to be in the same position that we're at now? And um, I think for most people, the answer is no, you know, that we want to have jobs and we want to have a strong job and economic future for our kids, but we don't want it to be where where we haven't made a transition into realistic renewable energy. Um, and I think it's going to take courageous leaders to talk about that because certainly the messaging has been um, maybe more successful on the other side. Um, we need to do a better job about talking about this perspective of how we can have great jobs and be protecting our children's future, both economically and in terms of a healthy environment. Absolutely. So. Um Let's see. Were you in the legislature last session? No, I was working at the Department of Justice, so of course we. You saw were, it. So we saw it. <laughs> yes, I. But I have to admit that I, you know, kept my distance. Oh, <laughs> oh. you weren't scarred for life by it. <laughs> so, did that have any uh, effect on your decision to run? Did it make you either, you know, did it solidify your position, or did it maybe if you go, wait a minute, I don't know that I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, my decision really more came out of, I think, you know, I've heard and I think it's been said many times that half of politics is timing. And um, for me, the seat opened up and I was at a place in my life where I felt like I could step up and take on the challenge. And so it didn't deter or dissuade me or even or in the, or make me feel or more challenged you. or encouraged. Or certainly didn't encourage me, but um, it was more just a feeling of like this is my time to try this and go for it. And um, yeah. Very cool. So. Uh, running for a, a district in Helena is always interesting because people are like, oh, Helena politicians are so blah, which I always found um, kind of bizarre because the Helena people have been pretty good about, we want to be a part of making things better. And on both sides, you know, they have different ideas on how to make it better and different definitions of what better is, but they always want to be involved in it. So how is it that you're going to join that group? Or are you already a part of that group in a way that I just don't see? And, you know, that's perfectly legit because I don't see that group very often because apparently I scare one side of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know specifically what group you're talking about. Well, but... the Republicans are scared of me. And yeah. periodically, you know, I when I have an opinion, I let it be known. Hmm. 
Um, and then, you know, when I, did, when I started the show, I wanted to bring people on because I wanted to talk about why are you involved in politics? How are you going to make a difference that's important to you? It's not whether I believe in it. It's, you know, what's important to you? But one of the things that I found is that people, as they come into Helena, think that they're going to buck the establishment, not realizing that as soon as you become part of that establishment, it's really hard to buck it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and having been around the legislature, are you a part of that group already? Are you... Do you feel comfortable around the politicians, or are you oh, still, right. you know, very much sort of I'm joining that group when I get elected? No, I mean I think because of the work I've done both on the you know political campaigning side and also you know working in state government, I've had the opportunity to meet and talk with a lot of different um, leaders in our in our community. So it's been great. I mean I, you know, I feel like I'm on a first name basis with a lot of those folks, and that's going to be helpful that you know we have that foundation um, going forward. I think people at least know who I am and. And some of what of, of what I stand for, um, and you know, it is interesting to think about what you know what political parties are pushing for versus what the voter on the ground really wants. And I think that's what's been so great about this door knocking experience of having knocked thousands of doors over the past nine months. I can honestly say that I'm much less cynical now than I was before I started. Oh, really? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I realized, you know, talking to people, and you're right, this is Helena, and people are much more politically aware probably than in non-capital cities, but. Um, you know, people do care. They are paying attention. They do, oftentimes, I think, mostly want the same things. And but and I'm and I'm talking maybe in some generalizations here, but I think most people their concerns are, you know, are my kids going to get edu- going to get a good education? If I get sick, if my husband gets sick, if my kids get sick, can we go to the doctor? Um, when I am ready to retire, will I be able to retire, and will I have enough money to live off of? I mean, some pretty basic concerns. And maybe we have different ideas about how to get there, but I think that that's got to be our starting place. And I'm really committed to that. And I think that sometimes, you know, when we get into the media and politics and the media, people, you know, politicians are starting from two opposite polar, opposite ends of the spectrum and, you know, not starting from that place of this is our common humanity and let's go from there. Um, And we may disagree on, on the hows, but let's at least acknowledge these common aspects of ourselves. And so I, I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, and, I, and I also, you know, having met a lot of folks who are in leadership, they're, they're all people too, you know, with, oh, yeah. with families and a lot of the similar concerns and I think really good intentions. So I think keeping that sort of in the forefront of our minds as we're going forward and whether it's working across the aisle or within the party, um, I just think that's critical, and it's what voters want. They want us to communicate with each other, and they want us to be willing to compromise on issues um, and find common ground. They're really angry about what happened last session, and so we have a responsibility to hear that and do things differently. Um, and I think what's, but then what can be scary for interest groups is, well, if you compromise, are you going to sell out the store? You know, and I, and my answer is always, there's a difference between compromising and being compromised, and it's essential to know that difference. Um, and how do you communicate that with people who are um, unwilling to listen? Yeah, and of course, there's always going to be those people. And I, don't, I think you work around them. I don't think you can, you know, there's always going to be the sticks in the mud who are never going to be willing <laughs> to have a conversation or budge one inch. And I think we've got to find the people who are willing to have those conversations and work, work with those people. I mean, I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't going to be people who it's just impossible um, to work with. It's, you know, it takes two to tango, so... 
Yeah, and some people just aren't listening to the music. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So, let's see. Um, I know we have to cut this short, shorter than my normal shows, but that's okay. I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you've got a ton of stuff with work, but really quick, what is it that you do in consumer protection? Oh, good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, well, I'm a consumer protection advocate. I work, um, I travel around the state and educate folks about scams and fraud. I go to senior centers and I go to um, high schools and I just talk about how to be a savvy consumer, you know, what are the, what are the risks and pitfalls of debt, um, and also, you know, what are the frauds and scams that we're seeing that folks need to be aware of, um, which has been really an amazing opportunity for me to get to travel all over the state and see so many communities. Um, and then on top of that, I do some special projects in the office. I work on land board issues. Um, I'm one of our land board staffers, so I go to the land board meetings and the staffers' meetings and look at land use issues in the state. Um, and I've also gotten to be part of a delegation that's traveled to all seven of the tribal nations to uh, talk with the tribal councils about ways that we can work together, um, Department of Justice, and you know each tribe has its own unique um, you know issues and concerns that that we try to just at least make the space to talk about. So that's been great too. I've gotten to go to all seven tribal nations and have uh, learned a lot in the process. Very cool. Yeah, in fact, I don't, I, uh, I've worked with a couple of people that have been to all seven tribal nations, but I think there's only like, if you can't, you can probably count them up on two hands. <laughs> um, other than obviously the tribes. Um, so, okay, I just have to ask, what's the most recent um, obnoxious scam that's gone around? <laughs> Let's educate well, some of our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one, the one that, this is one that comes up and rears its ugly head every couple of years is a texting scam where it's a, just a phishing scam. Basically, the scammer's trying to get your personal information. Hmm. So this was a text that went viral in Montana. Um, it, you know, literally, these things will hit on a on a, usually a weeknight, so it hit on a Wednesday night. We got 30 calls on a Thursday, and by Friday, the police department had shut down the number and it had phased out. So this is what they do. They move in, they act quickly, they get as much money as they can, and they leave. Um, but it was just saying, you know, credit union alert, your uh, bank account has been, has been closed. You know, for further information, please call this number. And it was a 406 number, so people oftentimes think, well, if it's a 406 number, it must be legitimate because it's coming from within Montana. Mm. They don't necessarily realize that those can be ghosted. Um, it could be coming from anywhere in the world. And when they called that number, it then asked for them to confirm their bank account number and their PIN number uh. and that kind of thing. Um, so those are, you know, there's many different variations on that scam, whether it comes over the phone or over email or over, um, your, you know, your texting. Um, but it's the bottom line. The golden rule is never give out your personal information to someone you don't know. Um, and then the one that I just breaks my heart, and it's not a new one, but it's still very current, is the grandparent scam, um, which is where a scammer calls and pretends to be an elderly person's grandchild and tries to, um, well, they, the storyline is always, hey, Grandpa, it's me. I'm in Canada, and I've been pulled over by the police. Um, I was just up here for a concert with friends. And anyway, they found drugs in the car. And they're not my drugs, but I've been arrested, and I'm being held in jail up here. And I really need you to wire me money to get out. And please, please, please don't tell Mom and Dad, because if they find out, they'll just be so angry. Um, and we've had. We had a woman in Haver who lost $30,000 in that scam. We've had a gentleman in Billings who lost $10,000 in that scam. I mean, it's, it's not going away. Um, and so for that one, I just 
that's I just try to get that out to as many people as possible, you know, and tell tell young people, talk to your grandparents and tell them that you will never call them and say, hey, I'm in Bill, I'm in uh, Canada and I need you to wire me five thousand dollars, or at least set up a password of some kind right. or something. A passphrase. You know? Let me know. Um, I actually heard about a new one, and I, I've been dying to ask somebody about this, so uh, this will be fun. Um, there's apparently a new fraud where people are filing tax returns early. Yeah, I've been reading uh, yeah. about that too. So they steal your identity and then file a tax return, get your return, and then you And by get, the time you get around to it, it's already been taken. Yeah, and it yeah. Was the, I know the IRS is having a good one. Is the state running into that as well? Is, um, yeah, I haven't heard of any complaints on a state level, and you know we don't do um, revenue in our office, obviously, but it hasn't been reported to me. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's so frustrating because protecting our identity, we're always told you need to be so careful to protect your identity, and yet as you and I know, anything that anybody wants to find out about us is pretty much somewhere on the internet. <laughs> yes, um, it is. So it's. You know, so it can be sort of a mixed message of you could, you, know, you could be great about shredding all your documents and, and never giving out your maiden name or your social security number, but does that mean that that information isn't already out there? So what I recommend for folks to do is to get a security freeze on their credit. And um, it's a really simple process. It's a bill that we got passed several sessions ago, and then we got another one through last session, which actually allows you to get it for your children as well, because the identity theft of children is on the rise. Um, and all it does is it, you just send a letter to each of the three credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, saying, I want you to lock my credit, and, um, and then they send you a PIN code. So even if someone in California gets your maiden, mother's maiden name and your social security number and your birth date, when they try to go and open a line of credit in your name, the, per, the, credit, uh, the lender is going to say, What's, you know, you, your credit is frozen, you need to thaw it, which they won't be able to do because they won't have this PIN code. Um, so we can we have information about that in our office, and we're always happy to help folks get that set up. Um, the only obnoxious part of it is is that when you do go to buy a new car or something, which you most have of us haven't car. done <laughs> recently, you've got to be able to thaw your credit, and so it just delays that process a little bit. But for my in my mind, the, the security and the peace of mind is well worth it, um, and it costs three dollars per bureau, so it's like a nine dollar total That's cost. Cool. So. Well, very cool. Thank you very much for that information. That's awesome. And thank you for running for office. I think it's great that, you know, everybody everybody should be involved in politics because whether you realize it or not, you are involved in politics. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. let's go over the basics of how they can get a hold of you. You have a website at? It's JennyEck4Montana.com. Okay. So we'll put a link to that. And you have a Twitter? I don't have a Twitter. <sighs> <sighs> But you have a Facebook. I have a Facebook, yes. And you have an Act Blue page. I have an Act Blue page on my website. So if you want to donate some money, if you'd like to donate some time, just go to the website. I'm sure you have a volunteer page. Yep. And um, if you are running into issues with uh, consumer protection and need help, um, we'll put a link to the consumer protection portion of the AG's website. That'd be great. Yeah. So thank you very much for being on. If you want to come back on anytime, you're more than welcome to. I if you want to discuss that. an issue. And um, for everybody else, uh, short show this week, but uh, it was fun. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.